Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. As you may not know, but our worship team is going to be leading worship at the conference. We're excited about that. So I think they picked the best worship team they could find to do it. So, And uh, so we're excited about that. So it's going to be kind of like being home, you know, rooting for the home team all week. But uh, we, we won't be having uh, intercessory prayer here Thursday, uh, Wednesday night because of that. Because most of us are going to be at the conference that, that come. So, uh, but it's going to be good anyway. I just want to bring you update on a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, the old building that we have. Uh, as many of you know, if you've been a part of D.C. for a long time, you know that we were given an old building. It was a church building uh, built in 1912. It was a blessing when we received it, and we received it as such. We had full intentions of restoring, remodeling this old building. And, uh, but God had other plans, obviously. You know, we're here in, in, in his plan this morning. And uh, it was going to take a lot of work, but we, you know, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we can ask or think. God met our needs up to, you know, the point where we're ready to sign on the dotted line. I'll never forget, uh, I had contacted uh, an architectural firm, and they had drawn up a contract, and I had actually signed it and put it in an envelope. My wife knew nothing of what was going on in my office when I did it, but she was praying. And she walks in and she said, honey, I don't know why, but I just feel in my spirit that you should not sign that contract and send it in. I'm like, okay, you know, when God speaks, we need to learn to listen. So I just took the contract and I just stuck it up in, the, in, in a little place where I keep my important papers and stuff. And I thought, well, I'll just give it some time and see what happens. Because up to that point, our, our intentions were to, or our plan was to build another building. And it was going to cost us $1.2 million to do it. But we knew God was able to do it. We just knew that. And so we, that was our plan. You know, when we have plans, the, the Word of God says the mind of man establishes his plans, but the Lord directs his paths. And so we, we had our plan in order and everything. And the Bible also says in Proverbs 16.3 to commit your plans to the Lord, and he would cause them to succeed. So we prayed about it, and uh, so we put it on hold. And it wasn't, but maybe one or two weeks later, this building became available. When this building became available, then we, you know, uh, I back up the bus a little bit. And let me share with you what had happened and what put us in the mode of, of developing plans to build and this kind of thing. When we had called in the contractors and everybody to look at the building, you know, they said, oh, it's firm, it's good. And uh, we even had some engineers look at it, it's structurally sound. But when we called in the architects, they said, oh, no, no, I mean, it, it, it's, it's good if you could restore it back to 1912 standards, which they really didn't have any. You know, you could do about anything you wanted to. As long as it stood up, it was good. And so, uh, but they said, in order for you to get it back to where it needs to be for today's standards, it's probably going to cost you between a million and a half and two and a half million dollars. So that's kind of like, ooh, so that's, that's what put us in this other mode. So 1.2 is less than a million and a half. At the least, you know, so that's where we were. But then this came available. Now, we've got this building. Now we have another dilemma. I received a notice from the city a couple of weeks ago. It says, uh, the building that you have on 121 Ridge Avenue needs to be demolished. 
So, and we got 90 days to do it. So we got to tear it down. So where we are now, I just wanted to bring you up to date where we are now. I met with a guy yesterday um, from Asheville, North Carolina. We have several others that are looking at it. We're looking around, trying to find someone who will take down the building. We thought maybe there might be some folks who would be interested in the brick or maybe some of the other materials in the building, the old pews. It's got a few things of value in it. Not much of value is left. But the bottom line is we've got to take care of it. We got to, it's got to come down. God is able. How many know God is able? <laughs> And so, uh, you know, it could be in the middle of the night, a lightning strike could go and take it down and we'd all be good, right? Or some vandal throw a match in there or something. I'm not suggesting anything, please. I mean, uh, but you never know. You know, pigeon catch on fire and fly in and whoop, there it goes. You just never know what's going to happen. But uh, we know that God will take care of it. But we, you know... But at the same time, the mind of man establishes his plans, but the Lord directs his path. We have to make a plan. So I had someone here yesterday to go look at the building. He crawled all over it, under it and everything else, looking for anything of value because that's what he does is he salvages old buildings and stuff. But um, pray with us. I just want you to make this a matter of prayer. Pray with us about what we should do. You know, I know that it's going to cost us something to tear it down. So... Who pays for it, that's another thing. God is able. He's done it so far up to this point. We haven't had to pay for very much because God has always supplied the need. And so we're thankful for that. But I just wanted to bring you up to date on it and, and ask you, please make it a matter of prayer because we've got to act quickly. So that's, that's where we are. And so, um, yeah, enough said. Praise the Lord. But that brings us to the part of the service that I love so much, and that's when we get to give. You know, we don't, we don't take offerings here. We don't take your tithe. We don't do that. We receive it as under the Lord. You give it out of your own heart, and that's the way that it should be. Because there's something about giving that we believe, and we say it every week just about, and we should, because we need to know this. So if you put that up there, as I give, I believe what? As I give. You see it anywhere? Are you? There you go. Now, y'all say this with me because I want you to get it down here. We got it up here, okay? We see it with our eyes, but it's only when we get it in our heart that it really begins to take root. Because I want you to understand why we give and why we receive offerings and tithe. Because we want to give you opportunity to get blessed. As I give, I believe. What do you believe? That the God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will do what? Will multiply, increase the fruit of whatever I sow today. That giving is an act of worship to be done willingly, cheerfully, and generously. That the Lord will cause his blessings to come upon me and overtake me as the windows of heaven are open. Therefore, I will honor the Lord with the first fruits of all my increase. So shall my barns be filled with plenty and my presses shall burst out with new wine. Do you know that that statement lines up perfectly with the word of God? It does. And so that's why, we, that's why we receive offerings, that's why we receive the tithe, so that you can benefit from it, and the kingdom of God can go forth. So ushers, would you come, we're going to wait upon you this morning for tithe and offering as we receive it as unto the Lord, and we want you to take your tithe, we want you to hold it up to the Lord, or just hold it out in front of you, lay your hands on it, whatever you do, and I want you to pray over it as we release it unto the Lord, because this is seed that is going into fertile soil. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sow into the kingdom. 
Lord, the seed that we hold in our hand, we give it willingly, cheerfully, and we give it generously unto you. Lord, we love it. We love to give. Our hearts are, are, are rejuvenated as we give because we know that you love a cheerful giver. And we know, Lord, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We know these things, so we act accordingly. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to prove your word and to prove you, Lord, to see if you won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that we will not be able to contain, as your word says. So we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, may your barns be filled with plenty in your Bats burst forth with new wine. Amen. Praise God. God is so good, isn't he? You know, I love the word of God. I love it so much. I really do. It's, it's a light to my feet and a lamp into my path. It shows me where to go and how to live. The word of God has blessed my life so much and the life of those around me. And I, I'm just thankful for it. We were sharing yesterday morning with our men in our Iron, Iron Man meeting. And about the word and how important it is to us and basically about replacing habits. You know, we all develop habits in our life. How many of you got any, got, anybody got any bad habits? Yeah, you know. We all got bad habits. But how do we, how do we get rid of those bad habits? We get rid of the bad habits by developing better habits, you know. And, and so, I mean, if you got a bad habit of chewing your food with your mouth full, you know, just, just learn not to do that. That's a bad habit. I think I, sometimes I fall into that. But um, So we just, you know, I'm just, I'm just pointing out one thing. I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. If you do that, you know, I'm not, not what preacher talking about me this morning. No, I think we all do it at some time or other. But we have to consciously make an effort not to do those things. You know what I'm saying? And, and same way with other things. But the most important thing is... Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 is my people perish for lack of knowledge. Where do we get knowledge? Where? From the word of God. We get the knowledge of God from his word. We learn about him. We learn him. We learn his attributes. We learn his character by, by giving heed to his word, by getting into it. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by giving heed to the word of God? You know, we, we, we make it a part of our life. And we have to develop habits because, as you know, it's not in our human nature just to want to pick up the Bible and read it, right? I mean, there are a lot of things we'd rather do. Some of us would rather play video games or anything, you know, but, but we have to develop those habits. And the other thing is this, giving God the first fruits. I'm preaching way away from my text today, but this is important. And I just feel like God is speaking to some of us here today because first fruits, you know, we give him, we honor him with what? The first fruits. So if you are one who, who waits till the last thing at night to get into the word of God and you fall asleep doing so, you're not giving him your first fruits. We should be going deeper instead of going out of it. And, 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 and I'm just speaking, I mean, you should find a time when you develop that habit of reading consistently on a daily basis, the Word of God. And you can say, well, I don't have the time to do it. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Kevin, how many, how many hours a day do you get? No, how many hours a day do you get? 24 hours. How about you? 24? And you? And you? We all get 24 hours a day, right? 24 hours a day. Out of that 24 hours, can we not give the Lord 30 minutes? At least. 
30 minutes out of 24 hours. And if we want to get technical about it, if we wanted to get technical about it, then if he deserves a tenth, a tithe of our day, then we should give him, what, two hours, 40 minutes a day. Just spent in his presence. Now, we can do that. We can do that all day long. But God deserves our full attention at some point in the day when we can get into his word and allow him to speak to us. We love to talk to God, don't we? We love to talk to God, but how many of us stop and let God talk to us? That's where it really gets rich, when he begins to speak back to us. And you say, well, how does God talk to me? I don't ever hear him. I just don't ever hear him. I've heard people say, well, I try to listen to God, but he don't talk to me. Well, let me tell you something. Here's how you listen. Read his word out loud. Just read it out loud and listen to what you're reading. That makes sense? Because God and his word are one and the same. And when you do that, it's God talking to you. And that means he's talking to you in an audible voice every day. And then you can be one of those spiritual types. You know, God talks to me in an audible voice all the time. And it'll be true. And people look at you weird like, are you kidding? You have that kind of relationship with God? Yeah, I do. Really? Yeah, I do. And and it's true when we do that. Well, that brings me down to this. The character in the Bible that we've been studying, Daniel. Daniel was one of those kind of guys that spent time with God. Not only did he spend time learning about him, he spent time in his presence with him. Constantly. Daniel served in in a place he didn't sign up to serve under. He was drafted. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been drafted into the service? You know, we, some of us here are old enough to be that way. Some of you, you remember what it was like when you got your, you got your notice, your draft notice, like, I really don't want to do this. But if I have to, I will, you know. That's kind of the way Daniel was. He was drafted in to serve under the, under the king of Babylon. And he served through four or five different administrations. As he served 60-some years, he served in Babylon in a place that he didn't want to be. But God had him there for a reason. And everywhere we look, God was blessing Daniel. And he was, he was always bringing him to the top. He would all, you know, the cream will always rise to the top. And Daniel's character was the cream of the crop. I mean, it would always bring him up to the top where God wanted him to be. But it took something of Daniel. Now, somebody that has served under those kind of conditions for 66 years is a person who could speak about perseverance, wouldn't you say? They could talk about what it's like to bear up under something. You know, to live through all of these things that he lived through, to see all the things that he saw. To be part of all that he was a part of. To serve under kings who, who, who were, were not exactly the most spiritual people that you would imagine them to be. And yet, God used him in those situations. I think about Billy Graham. I love to point to Billy because Billy is one of those kind of guys that over his ministry, and he's almost a century old now, and everything we know about Billy Graham is he has, he has gone into the Oval Office, and spoken into the lives of 33 presidents. 
Is that right? No, not 33. Couldn't be. That'd be four. That'd be 400. And, that'd be a lot of presidents. But but over 33 years, he has done that. He's spoken. I don't know how many presidents he's gone before. But every one of them, up to this point, he has had the opportunity to go in from time. I think it began with Eisenhower, all the way up to where we are now. Think about that, Eisenhower. That's when I was born, 1955. That was the year I was born. So he spoke to Eisenhower. He spoke to Obama. All the presidents in between, he has gone into the Oval Office and had the opportunity to speak to them. Why? Why? And what is it about Billy Graham that gives him that kind of grace, that kind of ability to speak into the lives of the most powerful man on the planet? Integrity. That's what Daniel had. He had integrity. They knew him. I mean, not every president agrees with Billy Graham. Matter of fact, most of them probably have not agreed with him. But they recognize the integrity and recognize that God has his hand on his life and gives them the ability to come in and speak before him. This was Daniel. So last week we, we talked about Daniel like, like Daniel read the handwriting on the wall. And how that Daniel, you know, was able to speak to Darius the Mede, had one more opportunity, one last opportunity to repent, and he didn't. The handwriting was on the wall, and he says, you've been weighed in the balance, and you've been found wanting, and this night, you know, your, your kingdom's coming to an end. And it says that very night, Darius the Mede was killed, or uh, Darius the Mede came in, and Belshazzar was killed, who was the ruler at that time. So here we are in chapter 6. And it seems, in, in chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps. Now, what is satraps? Those are just governors over provinces. They, they governed over the large provinces of Persia, and there were many of them because Persia had taken over Babylon. They had taken over the kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had been over. And, and it says, in this way, the whole empire would be effectively governed. It's kind of like having governors over, over, the, over the United States. We have all of these governors, and that's what it would be like. But Daniel was one of those, and then there were commissioners that were over the governors. You know, they would be like uh, over this number of provinces and over this number of provinces, and there were only three of them. And then there was Daniel. Daniel was, was one of those, and Daniel was a man with such integrity that he became number one over all of them. In verse 3 it says, Then Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Now what does it mean to be extraordinary? Extra, beyond ordinary. Now, for most people, and I hear this a lot, you know, I, I don't really want to be that great or anything. I just won't be able to get to heaven. And that'll be enough for me. If I can just accomplish that goal, if I can just get to heaven, if I can just be right, you know, if I can just live under the grace of God and just make it in, that'll be enough. I don't want to be that kind of guy to you, Chuck. I don't want to be that person. I want to be all that God wants me to be. I want him to be able to manipulate my life any way he wants it to go, any direction he points it. I just want to say, Lord, I'm willing, wherever you want to send me, 
I'll go. Isaiah was one of those people. I've been reading in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah, he's in the temple on the Lord's day. And, 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 he, and he gets this vision from God. And it happened to be in the same year that King Uzziah had died. And Uzziah was a good king. He wasn't a bad king. He was a good king. He only had one problem. It was his pride. His pride got him in trouble because he was the king. And God had blessed him and exalted him and everything else. Till he came to the point he thought he could go into the temple and do what the priest had been called to do. That wasn't his responsibility. And, and it caused him to be stricken with leprosy. For, so for the rest of his life, he lived apart from his people. He had to be basically colonized as a leper. And he could not rule with the people. He could only rule aloof or away from the people. But this was in the year that he died. And Isaiah had been a prophet during, those, during the time of Uzziah. And Uzziah died and... So, I don't know if, you, if uh, Isaiah was in mourning or what, but he was in the, in the temple on the Lord's day. And he saw a vision. And it says that, that he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his glory filled the temple. And he saw seraphim, six of them. And with three of them, you know, they, they, they flew with their wings over their mouth and three of them with over their feet and three of them, you know, over their ears. And, and, but they were crying and, and the thing that they were crying was, holy, holy, holy. And they, they spoke with such authority that it says that the, the foundations of the temple shook. I mean, it wasn't like they were just going, holy, 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 flying around, you know, like little... These were seraphim. These were like powerful, powerful, powerful angels. And they were crying out with the top of their lungs to the extent that the foundation of the temple shook. It's just like if someone would come in here with such a powerful baritone voice that they would say, holy, 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 and this whole place would shake. And Isaiah was like, oh, wow, I am undone. He saw this and it just shook him to his core and he says, I am undone. I am a man with, with unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And it says, one of the seraphim took a coal up off the altar of the Lord, and they brought it, and they touched his lips with it. And he cleansed his lips. And God spoke to him and said, Isaiah. You know, he began to reveal to Isaiah some of the things he was getting ready to do. And God said, I need someone to go and tell them. And he said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me, Lord. Here I am, send me. And when I had read that a long time ago, it spoke to my heart that God wants us to be willing to do whatever he asks us to do, knowing that it will cost us something somewhere along the way. Daniel was that kind of man. Daniel knew that he was in the hands of God. No matter where he went, no matter what circumstances, no matter what the situation was, that he was in the hands of God and he was going to be all right. And the thing that was paramount to him was to not worry about things, but to pray about everything. That's what Daniel did. That's how he handled it. Hey, that's good. That's good that we learn to pray and to persevere, that we learn to, to, to meet our struggles head on, not to run away from them, not to cower away from them, but that we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, step out and face challenges in our life. Don't run away from them. If somebody hurts you, if somebody says something against you that hurts your feeling, don't cower away and hurt and say, oh, they hurt me. <laughs> Respond in love and forgive them. Forgive them. Situations in your life, circumstances. You know, that word circumstances taken from the Latin is really a compound word, circumstance. 
And it means to stand in a position where things around you revolve. And there are things around us that are happening. We have no control over them. But we have to learn to stand on faith and stand upon the word of God and stand and pray and seek the Lord and see God. How do we handle this situation? We know that there's victory. There's victory if we will just stand. This is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Even your faith. 1 John 5, 4, we have to learn that faith overcomes, and this is, a, this is what faith is. What is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we know that when we pray and we, we, we talk to God, sometimes we don't see around the corner. But we have to understand that the God that we serve sees around every corner. He knows what's around. He knows what's going on. Daniel Learn that about God. He learned to trust him no matter what. And it caused him to be elevated to a position where everybody saw that he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And it says that the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now we know that sometimes when God begins to promote us, that not everybody's going to be happy about it. Have you ever noticed that? Because we have these things called envy and jealousy. And some people just don't want us to be promoted. I remember one time listening to a WBT and it was late at night. And there was a brother that uh, was from Charlotte. And, and he was talking about living in a neighborhood where people did not want him to succeed. Everybody looked at him and if he started having any success in his life, they weren't very happy about it. Because they themselves weren't succeeding and they wanted him to be just like them. They were. He said, I, he called it the crab bucket mentality. Anybody know what a crab bucket mentality is? Have you ever been around crabs? Now, we lived in Avon for a while. And I would go down to the, to the crab house or to the, uh, to the fishing docks just about every day and pray with the guys, pray over them, pray blessings on them and stuff. And a lot of them would come in with the crabs and they would have these baskets of crabs and they would sit them out on the docks there, out of their boats. And these crabs would be in these, th in these, in these baskets. Every now and then, one might escape. And when they did, they would hurry as fast as they could and back into the water. But it was rare that they would ever escape. You could grab one crab and start to pull him out. You know what would happen? You would pull out a string of them. Because those crabs, once one started to crawl out, they would reach up and grab him and pull him back in. And that's what the world does with us. The world does not want us to succeed. They don't want Christians to have anything. They don't want us to do anything. They're just as happy as they can be if we can just sit in a little room somewhere and sing Kumbaya with the windows falling out and, and the roof caving in and everything else. They're happy when we do that because they don't want you to succeed. But God wants more because we are his people. He wants to experience more in our life. And I want you to say this with me. I am more than a conqueror, not less than. Why are you more than a conqueror, not less than? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He has created you to be a conqueror and an overcomer. You're not created to fail. The devil is the one who's put that in your system, not God. God wants us to succeed. You are created for success. Every one of us. 
Now, success doesn't mean that you may have the largest bank account in the world, but it will mean at the end of your life, when you look back and you take inventory, you will have realized I've done all that I could do that God gave me to do with. I've been faithful in the small things. I've taken what God has given me and I've increased it. That's faithfulness. That's what Daniel did. So we're called to persevere like Daniel. Now, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Daniel found this out. When the other governors or satraps found out that Daniel was going to be promoted on top of them, they did not like it one bit. First of all, Daniel was not a naturalized Babylonian or a Persian. He was a Hebrew. He was one of the least likely to succeed in that system, you know? But his character set him apart. It elevated him. And they didn't like it. So, you know, the other, the other governors, the other senators, like, what, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? You know, in Proverbs 18, 16, I read this to you a few weeks ago. It says, a person's gift opens doors for him, bringing him access to important people. And the gift that Daniel possessed was an outstanding godly character, and it brought him before several kings. And in each situation, he found himself being promoted by God. Promotion comes from the Lord. God took care of him in every situation. I mean, not just in this one example, but in each situation under Nebuchadnezzar, under Belshazzar, and those in between, Nebuchadnezzar and all the others that he served, now he finds himself under Darius and the same thing. God gives him favor because he he sees in Daniel this extraordinary spirit and realizes that the hand of God is on him and because God is blessing him, that if he promotes Daniel, then God's going to bless the kingdom. Wow, that's the way it works. So here he is. He's standing above his fellows. And they didn't like it. So their jealousy and their envy got the best of them. It says in verses 4 through 8, Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental affairs, but they could not find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption insomuch as, <clears throat> now this is important, he was faithful And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Wow. If God's called you to serve somewhere, you know, if if then then serve with everything you've got, serve with integrity, serve with character. Don't worry about what your, your, your fellows think. Sometimes they're not too happy about it when you do that. You know, we, we call people like that a lot of different names, don't we? And it's okay. Let people say what they want, but serve with character and integrity. So, they couldn't find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it, if we find it against him in regard to the law of his God. Wow. Now, that's kind of digging deep, isn't it? The only thing, the only fault they could find, and they said, well, here's what we go. Then they all agreed to go and speak to the king that he should establish a statute 
and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides the king for 30 days should be cast into the den of lions. So they go and, and, and you know, they, they, they present this to the king and he likes it because, you know, they're stroking his ego and everything else and he realizes that I'm all powerful and everything else and I can do this. And so he doesn't think it through. And so he signs their edict and seals it with his ring. So now they've got the ammunition they need against Daniel. So they all head out. They go looking for Daniel. They knew just exactly where to find him. So when they got to Daniel's house, they went right to his quarters where they knew that he would be praying three times a day toward Jerusalem with his windows open, with his hands raised on his knees, praying to God, to the God of Israel. They knew that if we could find him in that position, so they go and guess what? Sure enough, there he was. There he was. Surely Daniel had heard about the edict that the king, the king had passed. He probably knew about it, but it didn't really matter, did it? He was going to go on, keep on doing what God had put in his heart to do. He was going to keep being who he was. He was Daniel. He was a man of God, first and foremost. More than a, than a governor, more than a satrap, more than a commissioner. He was a man of God. He just happened to be in that position. So they came and they found him there. So immediately... They go back and they tell the king. Well, they just couldn't wait to get back to Darius with the news. And they said, did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is cast into the lion's den? And Darius is like, oh my, what have I done? Because he knew. He knew then that they were after somebody. The king confirmed the statement and it was irrevocable. And they said, Daniel, the one is, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making this petition three times a day. And as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And he did everything that he could do to undo the injunction in an attempt to deliver Daniel. But it didn't work because he had been, he had been trapped by his words. Now that, that brings us to several things here that we can see. Several principles. Number one, by your words you are justified and by your words you are condemned. Some things that we say over ourselves and over others. With our mouths we bless and with our mouths we curse. Can sweet water and bitter water come out of the same spring? We have got to learn to control this thing right here. Because James said, it is like a fire that is set on fire by hell. And this thing can cause so much damage. This little thing that we stick out at people. And we use it for a lot of things, you know, licking envelopes, tasting. But most importantly, we use it either to bless or to curse. And sometimes, unknowingly, we curse ourselves with the words that we speak. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So listen, folks, we've got to learn to be very, very careful and very cautious with this thing. I mean, sometimes we start talking before our brain has an opportunity to engage. 
and we say things that we didn't mean to say, hurtful things, and we don't realize. You know, this Japanese proverb says, says, tongue, powerful weapon, only two inches long, but can kill men six foot tall. It is true. The tongue is a powerful weapon, and we can bless and we can curse. But this is, this is, this is where we go. The king learned that what he had said in the edict that he had done now is irrevocable. He couldn't do anything about it. All he could do was throw Daniel into the lion's den. Then the king says to Daniel, Oh, Daniel. (laughs) Oh, Daniel. Do you think maybe this God of yours that you serve will be able to to deliver you out of the mouths of the lions? Do you think that he can come and help you in this situation? No, actually, he said, Daniel, your God, whom you constantly, constantly serve, will deliver you. He knew Daniel, he knew the integrity of Daniel, and he knew Daniel's God would deliver him, and he says, your God will deliver you. He spoke in faith whether he realized it or not. So a stone was brought, it was placed over the mouth of the den, and it was sealed with the king's signet and ring and the ring of all of his nobles. The nobles thought they they had sealed Daniel's doom, but they didn't realize the power of Daniel's God. Now, this same God, the same God, there was another stone that was sealed. And it contained, behind that stone was the tomb of Jesus. And the devil thought, I've got him now and it's sealed. Because the scribes and the Pharisees had said, we want you to seal up this tomb so that nobody can get in lest some of his disciples come and they take his body and they spread this rumor that he's risen from the dead because this, this man has said he's going to rise from the dead. It ain't going to happen. We just want to make sure, right? And so they, they had sealed up this, the tomb of Jesus and they had put a, 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 a couple of, of sentry guards around it and, and they, they had this thing where nobody could get in and nobody could get out and nobody could come and mess with the tomb of Jesus, they thought. But Jesus, Jesus knew. He had already said it, didn't he? In three days, I'm coming out of here. You can, you can tear this temple down and you can, you can put it in a tomb. You can do whatever you want to with it, but in three days, I'm going to build it back up. So he knew that he was coming back out of the grave. And, and this is what the king said. He says to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. He spoke this in faith and he was in hope and in big way that God was going to bring him out. And so he put him in, the, they threw Daniel in the lion's den. Put him in there, they sealed it up. And all night long, King Darius... He spent it fasting. He, he was just really, you know, I don't know who he was praying to, but he was doing some serious praying. All night long, it says he wouldn't receive any entertainment or anything else. All he could think about was Daniel and that lion's den. So all night long, so early the next morning, the break of dawn, he goes to the king, he runs up to the lion's den and he has them to take the seal off of the, the stone that they had rolled over the lion's den and he yells out, Oh, Daniel! Daniel! Has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel says, No sweat, O king. Nothing to worry about. He said, An angel came in the middle of the night and he closed the mouths of the lions. I slept like a baby. 
And you know, the king was delighted that he had, that God had delivered Daniel out of the mouths of the lions. Insomuch he was so delighted, he says, I tell you what, Daniel, come on out. He says, he said, those lions are still hungry, aren't they? They didn't get anything to eat last night. So he gathered all these guys up that had accused Daniel. And he threw them in the lion's den. And their families, their wives, their children. And he says before they even hit the ground, before they even touched the ground, the lion's leaped upon them and they crushed their bones and they destroyed them. See, God will take care of your enemies. You've got a number one enemy in your life. That enemy is Satan himself. The Bible says in, in, in 1 Peter 5 and 7, it says, he says, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you, for your adversary, your enemy, the devil, goes around like what? A roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But resist him. Standing steadfast in the faith. We resist him standing steadfast in the faith. And when the enemy comes to want to chew upon us, we just turn around and chew right back at him. Because he don't have any teeth left. God has already disarmed him. All he can do is run around, run in his mouth, trying to deceive, trying to set little traps and things that we don't have to fall into. Because if we spend our time like Daniel in the presence of the Lord, we know... Paul says, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. If you're ignorant of the devil's devices, that just proves your own ignorance. Because you don't have to be. You can know how the devil operates. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. That's what he does. He's good at it. He's been doing it forever. Or since God, since he fell out of heaven anyway. <laughs> but we don't have to give in to it. The other thing that Daniel learned was that God is faithful. He knew that already. He said, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels, shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me in so much as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. We serve a living and enduring God, one whose kingdom cannot be destroyed. Daniel persevered. He withstood every kind of trial that he was made to endure. And that's what we're called to do as God's faithful people. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation is taken to you but that which is common to a man, but God is faithful and will not allow you to be attempted above or beyond what you were able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. To endure what? The temptation. What is the temptation? We look at temptation sometimes as, as maybe sexual temptation. We look at it as maybe, you know, temptation to fall back into a bad habit. And those are very real temptations. But I'll tell you the greatest temptation that we have as believers is the temptation to doubt God. To doubt God's ability. To doubt that God is going to do what he said he would do. That's a big temptation. But God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you were able. He will always provide a way of escape if we will learn to stand and trust him. He'll bring us through it. Amen? And when we're going through the temptation, there's some things that we will learn. Daniel learned from his situations early on that he could trust God. 
that God was faithful. He was going to take care of him no matter what. And Paul learned these same things. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 or chapter 3, he says, I have learned in whatsoever condition I'm in or whatever state I'm in, therefore, therewith to be content. He said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. I know how to be in afflictions. I know how to be in, in good times and how to have joy. He said, I know all these things. I've learned them experientially. I've learned that no matter what condition or state I'm in, God's going to deliver me. I'm going to be all right. That's why he was not a afraid to go back to Jerusalem when he was told by the prophet, if you go back there, they're going to kill you, Paul. Paul says, I'm ready to die. It doesn't bother me. I am ready to do whatever in order to preach the gospel to them. That's the most important thing. Because he knew that God had called him to do what? To be an ambassador, to be a preacher to the Gentiles. He said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go do whatever God's called me to do. I'm ready to do it, whether it costs me my life or not. As a matter of fact, it would be a joy and a privilege to die for Jesus. How many of us feel that way? It would be awesome to die for Jesus. That's the way Paul felt. He had nothing else to live for because he'd given it all up. He said, everything that I ever counted, counted as value, I counted all as dung now, just for the sake of knowing him. He said, the only thing that I desire more than anything else in life is to know him and the power of his resurrection, be made conformable unto his death in order that I might attain into the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul lived for. He said, man, this is my goal. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I live for. That's what Daniel was living for. He was living to please God above everything else and he did it with integrity. He did it with character. And everybody around him had looked at his life and says, there's a man of character. There's an excellent spirit. I like that guy. I like that guy. Even his enemies liked him. Scratch your head and think about that for a minute. Even the people who didn't think the way he thought or believe the way that he did liked Daniel because they saw something in him that rose above everyone. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary spirit that they saw in Daniel. Do you possess an extraordinary spirit? You should. As a child of God, you should, you should have an extraordinary spirit. You should stand out above those around you. Not because you are one who's proud and self-elevated, but because of your character and integrity has pushed you to the top. Amen? Praise God. God is good that way, isn't he? I'm going to give you this little, this little passage of scripture, and then we're going to be done. This is in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And Paul says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they will help us develop endurance. We can stop right there and preach on that. We rejoice too when we run into trials and temptations. We rejoice because we rejoice? It's just like, oh, come on, God. Give me some trouble. I need some trouble. You know, I just, I just love it. When I have to stand up under trial. I mean, I, put me in the fire, Lord. Just, you know, turn up the heat a little bit. Anybody ever pray that? I didn't think so. We're like, oh God, deliver us, Jesus. Help me. I don't want to go through this, Lord, please. But God says, you got to go through it because you got to be tempered. You got to be tempered. It's necessary. It's necessary because... Unless we are tried by the fire, the impurities in our life remain. But when we are tested and tried, it's like the melting of, of, of the smelting pot of gold that takes that gold and, and what happens when they turn up the heat and it begins to bubble that the impurities in the gold begin to rise and they scoop it off. 
so that all that's left when they get done is pure gold. That's where the valuable stuff is. That's what God's doing in our life sometimes. We just don't realize that God's turned you into gold. You just, you think, God's trying to hurt me. I don't let all it just hurts too bad. But God says, this is necessary. You got to go through this. Because when you come out on the other side, all those old things you've been hanging on to, they're going to be gone. If you'll just endure, if you'll just hang on to this for a little bit, just stick with me, boy. It's going to be all right. So we rejoice when we run into problems and trials when we know that they help us develop what? Endurance. Isn't that what we're after? We realize, you know, this Christian walk that we're in, it's not a sprint. It's like a marathon. You know, we're running a race. We're running it to win. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment. For we know, everybody say, for we know. We know. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So when you're thrown into a situation, you can see no way out of it. Like Daniel, if you're willing to walk in the power of spirit and if you don't fear... God will deliver you, so we need to persevere and trust him, knowing that God is building some things in our life that are necessary. Amen. You know, I can smile now. I can laugh. You know, several years ago, it was hard. It was hard to smile. There have been times in my life, when you're going through the fire sometimes, it's not easy. It's not easy to smile. But, you know, I remember going to the liver clinic down in Charlotte, I'd gotten a rhema from God that I was healed. It said, I'll go into this liver clinic down there, this uh, the hepatology clinic. And, you know, I've been dealing with the thing, with the liver disease and all that stuff. And I'd go in, I'd talk to the nurses, and I'd talk to the people. And I'd joke and cut, cut up with them and kid with them and stuff. And, and one of the nurses asked me one day, said, Mr. Vess, how can you have such a positive attitude with, with what we're looking at? Because they would draw, I mean, I'm, I went in one day, and they took 16 vials of blood out of me. And I'm like, dear Lord, leave me enough to get home on anyway, you know. <laughs> Feel like I came to a vampire convention or something. And, you know, but I would just kid with them. And, but the Lord had given me a confident hope. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And we know what that word hope is, don't we, Kevin? A confident expectation. Because I trust in my God and because I believe my God and because God has spoken to me, I know that he cannot lie. He will not lie. It's not in his character to lie. So that I know that I can trust him. So no matter what you're looking at under the microscope, no matter what you're seeing, no matter what you're seeing in your x-rays and everything else, I have a different report and I believe the report of the Lord. His report says, I am the God that healeth thee. He sent his son, he sent his word and he healed them. That the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings that he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes I Don Vess are healed amen so no matter what you see I'm healed I'd tell him that my doctor I'd tell him that he'd go whatever I mean he was nice he really was he wasn't condescending or anything he would just say whatever until he began to see the turning. He began to see things happen. He was like, Mr. Vess, I don't know what's going on here. 
whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. And he would ask me, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just trusting God. I'm reading his word. I'm believing his word. I'm just trusting him. Well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. And he would try to find reasons as to why, you know, all of a sudden this thing turned. He asked me one day, he says, do you drink? I said, well, I, I used to. He said, well, when you did, were you a heavy drinker, moderate drinker, or light drinker? I said, probably moderate to heavy, all depending on what day it was. <laughs> he said, well, when did you stop? I said, August the 15th, 1975. And he had his back turned to me. Turned around, he said, what? I said, August the 15th, 1975. He says, why that day? I said, because that was the day I was born again. He says, what? <laughs> Because he was Jewish, he didn't understand that concept. I said, I was born again. Jesus Christ came into my life. He touched my spirit. I was born again. What? He didn't really understand that concept. But I said, I said, Dr. Ryan Dollar, he was just the sweetest guy. I said, listen, I said, I know you got to do what you got to do. But I trust Jesus. I trust his word. And he said, Whatever. I'll see you next time. And so we went through this thing for, you know, like five years. And, and then the last time that I saw him, though, it was totally different because he saw the manifestation of what I've been believing for. He saw total healing. You know, my liver had gone from a stage four and a half, five being the worst, which is the final stages, to zero. I mean, not down to two, to zero. In other words, when they looked at my liver, they took a, a piece of liver out of my side. And, and when they took that liver and they looked at it, I remember him whispering to his, his, his nurse and, and, and talking, you know, as they were doing it and holding that piece of liver up looking at it. You know, and I'm like, do something with that, man. That's my liver, you know. <laughs> and, and he told me, he said, when I saw that, he says, I've never seen a prettier piece of liver in my life. And he told me, he, says, he said, when, when, when we sent it off and it came back, he says, you have no scarring, zero scarring in your liver, which I don't understand. He said, I know you went through treatments and all those kind of things, and that would help some. But he says, the thing is, what's really puzzling to me is because you still have a high viral load, but your liver's gotten better instead of getting worse. He said, I just, I don't have a medical explanation a scientific explanation for that and I said well I got two for you what's that he says well it says in Psalm 91 that no harm shall come nigh thy dwelling I said so that virus can hang around in there all it wants but it can't touch my liver if God don't want it to I said he's he's delivered me from that so you know whatever happens there if God takes the virus away, whatever, that's fine. As long as it don't touch my liver, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'll make it. And, and he said, well, what about the other stuff? I said, what do you mean the other stuff? He said, how did you come up to these conclusions that you've come up with? Which opened up doors for me to share with him for 45 minutes in a busy office. I mean, there were at least 150 people waiting to see him. And he took time for me to share the gospel with him. And I shared with him the word for 45 minutes about how God had healed me. So, you know, the gifts that God gives us will take us before important men. 
and give us opportunity to share with them. If we will just be people of faith and integrity, God will take us to places that we need to go. God has appointed each and every one of you. Every one of you. There's no one in here exempt, okay? God has put purpose in your life. He has put destiny in your life. We exist at Destiny City to help you find and fulfill your God-given destiny. If we fail in that, we failed in what God put us here for. But we want you to understand that you have a God-given destiny. Now, you have a destiny that you can choose, which is not God-given. You can choose to go in the opposite direction. Daniel could have chosen to cave in, but he didn't. He stood firm. And so can you. And you can stand up under trial and, and tribulation because there's no temptation taking you but that which is common to a man. But God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted above that that you're able but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. So when you're going through these things, this is my closing remarks, understand that God is doing something in you. He's doing something in you that's going to make you stronger that's going to make you more visible to those around you. They're going to look at you because as we endure the fire, what does fire do? Now, if you put fire to a candle, what does it do? It lights it up. And the more fire you put to it, the brighter it shines. So what are we called to do? You are a city that's set on a hill. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's what God's called us to do. Simply put, endure. Endure. <laughs> wow. You're going to get through it. No matter what you're going through. You're going to make it out on the other side. So just relax. Just do like Daniel. Pray. Persevere. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. In other words, pray always. Pray always. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, don't worry or don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. So, and Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it flow forth the issues of life. So if praying and trusting God guards our heart and our minds through Jesus Christ, that's how we do it. Praise God. Enough said. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't walk alone, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We know, Lord, that when we're walking through these situations and whatever we're going through, Lord, that you prepare a table for us. You set the table even in the presence of our enemies. And our cup runs over. It's filled with joy. And Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that nothing that happens around us is going to shake our confidence and our faith and our hope and trust in you. 
Because we know, Lord, as long as we pray, as we long as we lay it before you and we cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us, you give us the ability to endure, to go through these situations. So we want to be like that. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.